This is the Seafair Investor Podcast, bringing you the tides of investing and personal finance from to millennial seafarers and alike. I'm your host, Soshin, a full-time seafarer, value investor, and a personal finance enthusiast. Welcome to episode 14. Today's episode will be a bit long and about different financial investments that are available to seafarers. May it be a Filipino or an Indian seafarer, these financial investments can all be accessed by every seafarer with the right capital, internet, and motivation. <laughs> but of course, I will be more familiar with related to Philippines as it's where I live. However, I believe no matter which home port you are, the five on the list are still within reach to you. I explicitly chose these ones as they are easily accessible and don't need that much starting capital. And it's accessible in a way that most, if not all, in the list can be done online, like everything nowadays. <laughs> so if you have an internet sim, which most seafarers do, you can do this while even on board. Again, I hope the reason why you're listening to this episode is because you are ready to invest, meaning you've got all or most of your financial bases covered. Now, before I get carried away, let's go to the episode. <laughs> before I go with the top 5 best financial investments that are available to seafarers, I just want to say that there will never be a quote-unquote one single best investment for everyone, as it still really depends on the person itself. It must take into account a lot of factors that only again the person itself knows. Besides, the word best for a start is really subjective. Your best won't be the same with me and vice versa. That's why I put on a list instead of just saying that the stock market is the best among the rest, which I still believe by the way. <laughs> But having more options for my fellow mates is still the better way. And also one should diversify or spread out their investments on different asset classes, which I am doing so and planning more in the future, hence the list that I made. So find one in the list that works uniquely for you. It can be only one or the combination of three. Go crazy. <laughs> Again, without further ado, let's now proceed to the main topic. First one in the list is, of course, investing in individual companies in the stock market, which my podcast is actively promoting as a way to financial freedom for seafarers. And... Being a Filipino seafarer, it's easier now in our country to open your own brokerage account, which you need to use in order to buy stocks in the Philippine market. As I've mentioned in one of my previous episodes, 
most major banks offer one automatically if you have an account with them. Like with BPI and BDO, while with Metrobank, you have to apply manually online. And all of them, by the way, can be accessed online. And I personally use first Metrosec of Metrobank as my stock brokerage because of their nice user interface, which compared to the others are really, how should I say this, um, ancient looking, <laughs> like with BPI Trade and BDO Nomura. But again, as everything can be accessed online, the problem of us seafarers is having a good and stable internet. So I highly suggest if you have, let's say, a contract of eight months in a ship with a bad, bad reputation for internet, then you should reconsider if stock picking is for you. As I've said before, you don't want to miss a buying opportunity of a stock you want to buy because the ship's internet suddenly became slow. But if you're always at port, then having an internet sim can be a good solution. But still, it's not every day you will have a signal at sea. <laughs> um, I'm just really lucky and privileged to be in a ship that has a reliable and good internet, even while at sea. It uh, enables me to research more into companies and monitor the holdings I have in the internet. So again, having a reliable internet is a must for seafarers wanting to be stock pickers. Anyway, um, this strategy, the investing in individual companies, involves building by yourself your own stock portfolio. Actively picking companies may it be a growth or dividend strategy. But there are a lot of ways actually in building a stock portfolio. I won't enumerate all of them, but the usual focuses on two things. Growth and value. With growth stocks, you pick companies that have a long runway for its business to expand more that translates to higher profits and dividends in the future. Usually, they pay a really small dividends or oftentimes not at all as the retained earnings are being reinvested back to the business for growth. While value is what the name says. Value. <laughs> you buy something at a discount from its current price. Buying 50 cents of a dollar, they say, or in short, just buying cheap. <laughs> it's kind of opposite of growth stocks as with value, you buy a stock with a discounted price from its current one, while with growth, you are buying the stock for its future earnings. Of course, this can be sometimes a mix of both value and growth. It really depends, and this is what makes stock picking challenging because it's a lot of factors and data that you need to understand and research first, even before you need you know that you have a good 
probability that your odds are right. And this involves reading a lot of financial reports, uh, studying its uh, business, its industry, and knowing the right valuations, and etc., etc. That's why picking stocks on your own needs an extra level of motivation in your part. Because we are in a time that it's really easy to buy stocks. And because of that, we are also in a time where it's easy to lose money. So that's why it's really important to know if you really want to take the odds of picking stocks on your own. Because yes, the rewards or returns are great, but so is the risk of losing all your money. It's just how it is. (laughs) And I've lost a fair share of my money in the stock market because of some beginner mistakes. Almost everyone uh, do. And that mistake is what they call a tuition fee you give to the market for learning that mistake. (laughs) And while I'm lucky to have that losses early on with low capital, I don't want anyone to go through it That's why I'm putting this podcast, especially for my fellow seafarers. Even though I believe beginner mistakes are crucial for learning, it's not necessary that you have to experience it all. That's why history is being taught in school, to avoid the costly mistakes of the past as much as possible. I will be dedicating an episode in the future about beginner mistakes for this. Anyway... If you're a seafarer and want to go in into this, I highly suggest you ask yourself first if you are willing to study more about investing. Because blindly picking stocks with just surface-level research will burn you quickly. Believe me, I've been there. (laughs) So if you said yes, then hop on with me and as I will talk more about valuing and picking businesses in future episodes. But if you said no, then still stick with me. (laughs) I will also talk more about it in the next list on our top 5. So the second in the list is by investing in index funds. This financial investment is what I think is the most applicable to most seafarers if they want exposure to equities or stocks indirectly without studying individual businesses. Why? Because index funds also limits your ability to harm yourself financially by timing the market. Because you can automate the process of buying in your broker and for seafarers, you can just buy every time you have a good signal of internet as Investing in index funds don't need to be monitored that much compared to individual stock picking. This is something that you can just buy consistently every month and as time goes by, compounding will do its job and you will reap huge returns in the future. However, of course, this is easier said than done. As we live in an age now with so much information available quickly. You don't need to go far but just reach out to your phone and open Facebook or Twitter. 
and you'll see that there will always be a reason to sell and to buy stocks. So it's always a challenge to stick into just buying and canceling out the market noise, especially in social media. As investing is so much more about how you behave and react than picking or timing the market itself. Okay, (laughs) I'm sorry I almost forgot to define what is an index fund. Uh, An index fund is a basket, or just imagine it's a basket or a collection of stocks that follow a specific index. Like for example, in the Philippines, if you bought the FMETF or the first Metro Philippine Equity or the first Metro Philippine Equity ETF, it follows the Philippine Stock Exchange Index that has the top 30 companies in it. So if you have a share of FMETF, ah, that's a long, sorry, that's a long uh, acronym, you're essentially diversified in stocks already because that one share is composed of the top 30 companies. Although one can argue that you're essentially buying Ayala and SM stocks as it is weighted heavily in the index. Another popular example of an index fund is the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF or ticker symbol VOO that tracks the S&P 500 index, which is also a basket of the top 500 companies in the US. Again, having a share of VOO gives you an instant diversification across 500 companies in the US. This is the beauty of the index fund, really. it's, It's investing in the economy of a country. So, If the U.S. economy grows, the index will naturally follow. And historically, if you bought VOO for the last 10 years, you would have an annualized 13.63% return or a 258% total return. Meaning a $1,000 invested last 2012 would have become $3,589 today. That's really good, actually. I mean, it's hard to find an investment that can give you 13% increase every year. And the best part is, that's without you doing anything at all. You're just consistently buying into it. Now, the, the cons of or the disadvantage of an index fund is that because you are investing in the whole market, so if the market takes a fall or a downturn, the index fund will also follow because, of course, it tracks the market itself. Another one is that you will also end up owning overvalued stocks through the index fund as it does not have a choice but to include it as it is part of the index. But for me, the pros outweigh the cons by a great length because especially for seafarers, as this would be the perfect way to have a direct exposure to the stock market without researching each individual stocks to pick. 
you can just buy the whole US market index and the all world index. Or if you have a home country bias and you're from the Philippines, you can buy the FMETF and you're set. Of course, you should also take into consideration the fees these funds charge, but I think index funds deserve its own episode someday, so I will not take a full dive into it now, as the goal of this episode is to give out options. Anyway, moving on to the third one in the list of financial investments available to seafarers, and is the most popular and common among my fellow mates, which is real estate investing. Of course, this will be in the list. (laughs) And it's kind of understandable why real estate is popular. Because unlike stocks or index funds, real estate is a tangible asset, meaning it's physical. (laughs) You can touch and see it. And being human as it is, we tend to feel more safe on something we can see where our money is going. And with seafarers, it's usually the first investment asset class they buy, given because it's also because of the system. Back in the Philippines, uh, seafarers are mostly a target for real estate agents as they know they have, or or we have, <laughs> the capability to pay for a down payment right away. Of course, it, it's, it doesn't apply to every seafarer, but most are. Especially if the seaman shows to the agent that it has a consistent contract on the same ship, or it's in a rotation in the fleet. So, again, as I argued in my, one of my previous episodes, you can only consider a real estate as an asset or an investment only and if only it provides cash flow to you more than the inflation and the taxes you pay. So this really crosses out your home as a real estate. Because unless you rent out the vacant rooms in your house to other people, it will only give you expenses every month through, of course, obviously utility bills and emergency repairs. And also the house itself depreciates in value over time as it's, it's going through a wear and tear process. Well, if you own the land where the house is standing, then good. However, studies show that the rise in value of land is is not equal and it really depends on the location, obviously. A land in the metro would not be valued the same as in the mountains. <laughs> and, and now, real estate that provides cash flow are rental properties, of course, which includes commercial buildings, condos, and apartment. However, this is a different investing competency that I know I I lack, which is why I am planning to invite guests in the future episodes that are experts in real estate investing. But if you're the type who does not want to uh, manage a property, and given that being a seafarer, it's 
it's much harder to do. <laughs> so unless if you have a spouse or someone back home that is or can manage rental properties, then investing in REITs is another way to have a direct exposure to real estate. So REITs is R-E-I-T-S or meaning is a real estate investment trust is one way of owning physical real estate without the need for you to manage it yourself. It can be bought like a stock and behaves like a stock, but it's a different asset class on its own. Because a REIT is required by law to give out at least 90% of its net income as dividends to its shareholders. And that net income is of course from rent and Rent, as we know, increases every year, so in turns, it also increases the dividends being paid every year. And because of this, REITs can be a fantastic source of passive income, provided, of course, you got in a a good price, as, like I said, (laughs) it behaves like a stock, so the price can be volatile, meaning it can move up and down every now and then. Now, REITs are valued differently than common stocks as investors of REITs seek dividend yield than price appreciation. So one can say that with REITs, price appreciation is just a bonus. It's all about the long-term dividend yield. So an example of a REIT from the Philippines is the Ayala Real Estate Investment Trust or or a REIT for the ticker symbol. So it gives out a 4.62% dividend yield based on its current price. And its property portfolio includes Solaris One, Ayala North Exchange, McKinley Exchange, and others more. That is probably known if you are from the Philippines. There are other REITs in the Philippines, and more to come to be listed as the REIT sector is relatively new. So it was, I think it's around two years ago. Now, again, this topic deserves its own episode in the future, and I know and I'm sorry, I've been saying this again and again about making each of the lists here its own episode. But please do bear with me as I know I can't really do justice in explaining everything in such a short time. And also, I don't want to cheat on you by providing only with the bare details. Anyway, back to real estate. Um, So real estate is perfect for seafarers that have a good sense of picking the right people to manage the property while being away. And it does not only boils down if it's a land that you can use to lease or an apartment. And now again, I'm not an expert in real estate, but for me, it's kind of obvious that managing a property well is the key, or one of the keys. (laughs) And if you don't want to manage a property yourself, then REITs is the way, in short. Now for the risks in real estate is, of course, First and foremost is the liquidity problem, meaning you can't sell your property today if you wanted to, or even tomorrow, and 
I think you know why given that you went through the long process of buying a property. However, with REITs, it has liquidity as it is being traded publicly like a common stock. And real estate and REITs, I can say, is for conservative seafarers that wants steady and stable cash flow. For the fourth one in the list of financial investment available to seafarers, we have bonds and MP2, if you're from the Philippines. This is also called the fixed income investments. So meaning your returns every year are fixed until the maturity of the investment. For example, Phil Invest, a property company from the Philippines, is offering now a 6% corporate bond for 5 years. So if you avail this, you get a 6% return every year. Like for example, you invested 100,000 pesos, you will get a 5,000 pesos after tax and fees. So you see, bonds are perfect for seafarers that are risk-averse or don't want a lot of risk of losing their money as the principal of your capital is kind of guaranteed to be returned after the maturity date plus the interest. Now, before I forget to explain again what are bonds, are bonds are essentially a loan that you give to a company or a country. It works like how you would take a loan from a bank, but it's the other way around as you are the one that is issuing the loan. And like how you would pay an interest to a loan, the bond will pay you interest Instead, depending on what rate you bought it. And of course, not all bonds are created equal. The rate depends on how risky the bond issuer is. The higher the risk, the higher the rates and vice versa. So, example of bonds are corporate bonds from public corporations like Phil Invest and the treasury bills or T-bills. So you can get these bonds from your own local bank and through some other uh, methods also. And with regarding to T-bills, these bonds are issued by the country itself and considered as the most risk-free asset as the risk of you losing money is when the country itself defaults and can't pay its debts. It can happen, but kind of rare, and Argentina is an example recently. Another risk with bonds is, of course, if the inflation rate of the country you're in is higher than the return you're getting from your bonds. Example, in the Philippines, inflation is around 4.3%. And if you bought a bond that gives out a 3% return, then you're getting a negative yield as they call it, which means you're losing 1.3% every year. And also, returns from bonds depends on the interest rates of a country. And so, okay, I, I need to stop and don't get really deep dive on this topic. And also, again, I'm not confident to discuss it more as I only know surface level information and 
I don't own any kind of bonds, except for MP2, which I'm gonna discuss now. <laughs> so, if you're from the Philippines, MP2 or Pag-ibig MP2 is an investment that works like a bond because your money is locked with MP2 for 5 years. But it has more benefits. Unlike a corporate bond that gives out its returns only in cash, with MP2 you have the options to reinvest your dividends back into your principal, which makes it grow and your next year dividend also will grow. So this is not possible with bonds as you can't add more to your principal. It's fixed. So a 100,000 pesos bond is the same after 5 years. So no compounding has happened. But with MP2, it's different. It's a bond in steroids. (laughs) And the best part is it's tax-free. So, okay. For example, you invested 100,000 pesos in year 1 with MP2. And let's say that year the dividend was um, 6% or 6,000 pesos. And because dividends in MP2 are tax-free and it gets reinvested back into the principal, the next year if, if it's still 6%, then that 6% dividends will not be based from the 100,000 pesos you initially deposited but from 106,000 pesos. Which means your second year dividends will be higher into 6,360 pesos. So it's bigger than first year. So this is the perfect example of compounding at play. Because at the end of the 5-year period, you will get 33,822 pesos of profit if it's a steady 6% yearly dividend. And again, that's tax-free. So if you compare this, if you bought a 6% bond that matures after 5 years, you'll only get an after-tax return of 22,309 pesos. Now, this can also be bigger as MP2 also lets you add to your principal every year until it matures. Imagine you're adding 100,000 pesos every year for 5 years. You will get a 97,531 pesos in profit in the end. However, you will ask, is this too good to be true? <laughs> in a way, yes, but of course, there are risks to this as Pagibig uses MP2 to facilitate housing loans to the general public. So, if the public can pay the loans, then Pag-ibig MP2 will default. But the chances are kind of slim as Pag-ibig is a government-backed entity, meaning if it defaults, the Philippine government will most probably bail it out. And the MP2 program of Pag-ibig has been in place and been giving out dividends since 2013. And it always got the highest audit rating among the government sectors. And because of this, this is the reason why it's my only fixed income investment as this is a really good way to save money for long-term goals that are more than 5 years. 
in my case, I am using MP2 to buy my future house or real estate in the next 5 years. Now for the last financial investment that is available to seafarers and which I don't have much knowledge again, actually, or the confidence to say so. And also I don't hold this investment. And this investment is crypto. (laughs) As much as I believe the Bitcoin white paper is an amazing technological innovation, Crypto does not really sit well with me in terms of store of value. For me, it's just that there's not enough people yet believing on its value. And because for money or currency to work, as I understand, it should be one and not too volatile or the value should be stable for exchanges to work. And two, everyone should believe that it has value in the first place. And that's how currency works. Because your money is useless if the other party receiving it does not believe on its value. Imagine you have a US dollar with you and the other party won't exchange because he or she does not believe on the value of the US dollar. Um, Another one reason why it does not sit well with me is that crypto is really hard to value itself. Like gold, it does not give cash flow, unlike stocks that gives you a claim in the stake of the assets of a company and it pays dividends as cash flow. However, even with all these negative points I see in crypto, I am not against it. So, history has proven again and again that you don't want to bet against technological innovation. And maybe crypto will be the first global and decentralized currency, I don't know. Only time will tell, but for now, I will be sitting on the sidelines and observe. And of course, again, in the future, I will be inviting guests that has more knowledge than me on the, on this field. Because I'm open-minded and always willing to learn. So if this investment works for you and can manage this even while being at sea, given how volatile crypto is, then good for you. <laughs> I just included this in the list because... It is still considered a financial investment in some way, and it's the most accessible, actually. Now, before I end the episode, and I know this one has been the longest that I've recorded so far, I just want to emphasize again the point that there is not one perfect investment for everybody. You have to discover and understand it yourself. And then stick to the one that uniquely works for you alone. If real estate sits well with you, then good. The path to financial freedom is not a single road. There are different routes or voyages to a single destination. And this is what I aim with this podcast. Even though I mostly focus at the moment with stocks... I'm planning to diversify the content 
to other investments by inviting guests that are masters of those fields. Thank you for listening to this episode. So, if you want to reach out to me, kindly follow and like my Facebook page, The Seafer Investor Podcast. You can message me there and through my email also, which is soshininvestor at gmail.com. The notes are all available in the description. And also, don't forget to leave a 5-star rating and a review in whatever podcast platform you're listening. It helps a lot in the discovery algorithm. So, yeah, see you in the next episode. Bye!